Six World Music. Gary Six World Music. Gary Six World Music. Alright, hello and welcome back to Gary's Sixth World Music. I'm, of course, your humble guide to the world of strange, esoteric, and weird music, Chris Koberic. Well, it's been two weeks now since the last episode. We're technically in week 186. And what a great two weeks uh, off it's been. Um, I went to, of course, my my sister-in-law's wedding in, uh, in Washington. We went to the San Juan Islands. It was beautiful out there. Uh, and then I went on a nice hike in the snowy, um, in snowy Yosemite. Uh, I went backpacking for about three days. It was awesome. Um, but the whole time I was <laughs> researching and reading up on, on today's, uh, deep dive artist. So this is a little different format today. This is going to be a longer episode, much longer episode. Um, and we're going to go into the biography and the entire discography of this one particular, uh, strange out there outsider punk artist of course i'm talking about Okay, so this, of course, is the story, the rock and roll story of the most infamous, shocking, violent, and miserable human being to ever grace the stage, Gigi Allen. <laughs> so famous for such antics as defecation, urination, coprophilia, which is eating of the previous mentioned, and of course getting sexually aroused by it, um, assault, self-mutilation, and rape. Um, he did this all while on stage performing a strange and poorly recorded and executed version of punk, thrash metal, shock rock, and outlaw country. He once even pissed on his own record executive. So as Gigi said once himself, if he wasn't rocking, uh, then he would probably be out killing people. So, neat. Uh, his extremeness and mental illness, uh, or is it mental illness? I don't know. Uh, makes him a true punk outsider. He pushes um, rock to its limits, and he makes people wonder, what really is a performance? And what's the difference between art, performance, and reality? Now, how I know about Gigi Allen is from watching this uh, movie, this film called CKY, when I was a kid. Um, so when I was a kid, I was into skateboarding, and there's these CKY films. This one in particular, CKY4. Um, where a friend of Bam Margera is getting wasted, and he says something like, You don't know Gigi Allen. And that really stuck with me. I didn't know who he was, what it was about, but that um, stuck with me for some reason. Gigi fucking Allen. Gigi motherfucking Allen. Where are we going? Little to New Hampshire is grave. Going to Gigi Allen's grave. So goddamn loaded. Nobody knows fucking Gigi Allen. I'll kill him. 
Yeah, that was really funny to me at the time, uh, just because the guy was wasted, and I was like, I don't know, I was 13 or something. Um, so if you don't know CKY, by the way, this is like a pre-Jackass series uh, of skateboarding videos. Um, basically, it documents Bam Margera's dumb stunts that he does with his friends, uh, but I will say it does hold up still. It's still funny, man. And uh, <laughs> So I remembered that, and then... A little later, when LimeWire and Kazaa was around, where you could download stuff really easily, um, I would just search for weird music of any type. So, <laughs> I don't know what I was searching for exactly, but I, I found out about stuff like The Frogs and oh, uh, Group X and Gigi Allen, just because I was looking for weird, weird, horrible stuff. Um, also, thinking back, I do remember in the very early 90s, um, there was a lot of, like, whispers and, like, fear from parents and teachers about, like, the music kids are listening to these days. And uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but that's because all of these crazy shock artists like Gigi Allen were going on the Jerry Springer show and all these shows and, and talking about their crazy acts. Uh, so there's, like little bit of a, a panic, I would say. I remember that. I remember that in, like, second grade, I want to say. <laughs> now, Gigi himself, as I kind of alluded to, was all performance. But I think that, like Jackass and, and CKY, um, it's like, what if the performance is something that is permanent? What if a part of a performance leaves a scar or it traumatizes people? What if a bone is broken in a performance? Is that still art? Um, I don't know. Gigi sought to push these ideas and merge performance and reality. Uh, I think he wanted to create some sort of new reality with his performance. Um, and he had a vision for what rock and roll and punk should be. Before, before we go into that too much, we gotta go all the way back to where it all began. To part one. The early years, the making of a madman. So, on August 29th, <laughs> to excited there. On August 29th, 1956, at the Weeks Memorial Hospital in Lancaster, New Hampshire, Jesus Christ Allen was born. He was the baby of the family, being the youngest of two kids. There's Merle Jr., his brother, three years older than him, and his mother, Arlita Gunther, and his father, Merle Colby Allen Sr. Okay. Now, you might be asking, why would anyone name their kid Jesus Christ? Well, you see, his father, Merle Sr., was a religious fanatic and a recluse. He claimed to have a vision of Gigi being a great man, perhaps the new Messiah. In this vision, it was God telling him that his son would be a great man. <laughs> um, so Merle Sr.'s fanaticism seemed to only grow after Gigi's birth, though. Uh, see, he forbid the family from going and having any pleasures of any kind. Uh, he also allowed only very little contact with others outside the family. He would do stuff like confiscating toys that he found that the kids would bring home. Uh, he would burn them, destroy them. In fits of rage, he would like break them in front of them. Uh, he would also hit and abuse Arlita, but Gigi claims that he didn't ever abuse the kids. Hmm. But exactly how can you limit interaction with the outside world, though, you might ask? 
Well, you build yourself a cabin out in the woods in rural Groveton, New Hampshire, of course. So Merle built this cabin with no electricity, no running water, instead favoring a primitive existence in order to get back to these Christian pilgrim roots. In Gigi's memoir essay, uh, The First Ten Years, he describes the situation like this. We were more like prisoners than a family. Uh, somewhere after this, Merle Sr., in increasingly dire fits of rage, started talking really apocalyptically. Uh, he talked about having to sacrifice themselves to God. So the plan was he would kill the kids, and Arlita and him would commit suicide together. He even started to prepare by digging graves in the basement. One day when Arlita was asking what he was doing down there in the cellar, he simply said, Digging. <laughs> now this is a good time to talk about Gigi's mom, Arlita. She had a reportedly uh, mean and overprotective mother uh, named Emma Gunther, and she forbid uh, Arlita from talking to, to men. So it seems that once uh, Merle came into the picture, she uh, hopped on him as fast as she could uh, to get out of that situation. She uh, married him when she was only 20 years old. Uh, and you gotta be a little sympathetic to Arlita. Uh, maybe quite a bit sympathetic to Arlita. Needless to say, she wasn't down for any of this apocalyptic sacrifice shit, and uh, she planned on leaving with the kids. So when Arlita confronted Merle Sr. about this, now this is according to uh, new information, actually, that Arlita herself uh, divulged in the new 2017 documentary called uh, The Allens. So according to her, uh, this is when Merle Sr. held them at gunpoint, held the whole family at gunpoint, and raped Arlita while the kids were watching. So horrifying stuff. Um, so Arlita fled and tried to hitchhike out to her mother's place to get help. Uh, the plan was to run out of there and, and then file for divorce after going back for the kids. However, on this first attempt, Merle Sr. kidnapped Gigi, Anne was forced to come home. Uh, in the Allens, she also implies that she was very scared to leave him alone with Gigi. Um, Gigi would have been four or so at this time. <clears throat> now, so that's a disaster. <laughs> Soon after that, Arlita was able to successfully flee with the kids while Merle went uh, to work at the paper mill. Arlita divorced Merle Sr. in 1961, and Gigi was just five. Merle Sr. was out of their lives for good. Whew! So now, let's check out Chris's Psych Corner, Psychology, psychology corner. corner. Um, from this description, it seems like Merle Sr. had some sort of spiraling mental disorder. On the surface, it sounds like schizophrenia, um, as he's got all the telltale signs, like visions, uh, seeing things that aren't there, you know, paranoia. Um, but we're also basically going on the word of Gigi Allen. Um, as the best source. So maybe some of this is made up. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> His brother and mother seem to more or less co corroborate the story. Um, but his brother is kind of reserved on the details. Um, kind of weird. Uh, Arlita seems nonchalant about it at times in interviews. Although the new, um, the new interview does, uh, give a little more information about that. Um... But I wish I knew more about what Merle Sr. was like before this. He's kind of out of the picture. Um, anyway, 
After leaving Merle, Se- after leaving Merle Senior, Arlita changed uh, Jesus Christ's name to Kevin Michael. Um, but by this time, little Gigi already had his lifelong nickname because his older brother couldn't pronounce Jesus and instead said Gigi. By 1962, Gigi had his first year of school in their new town of East St. Johnsbury, Vermont. And Arlita got a new job at a jewelry store, ready to raise the kids by herself. Now, Gigi immediately had trouble in school, though. Uh, In fact, he was placed in a special needs class and had to repeat the third grade. That's like Bart Simpson stuff, man. Uh, According to Merle Jr., his brother was the victim of bullying and abuse from, from a very young age in school. And he suffered asthma on top of that. Uh, He also had trouble controlling his bladder. So school teachers would publicly shame him, um, as well as his peers when he'd have accidents. Um, We all remember kids like this, um, the ones that didn't quite fit in, didn't dress right, were kind of strange. It's sad, but it happens all the time, and teachers don't help. As a teacher right now, I will say, uh, I try to never do anything like that but you know there's lots of lots of people who who have it hard um so it seems that Gigi was thrust into a role that he couldn't change from a very young age by 1965 he had gotten into rock and roll it's pretty young uh but his uh grandma emma who was their uh, de facto babysitter uh, would yell and was cruel to them and didn't let them do a lot of stuff. Also during this time, Arlita had other men coming by who were abusive as well. Uh, one instance was this guy named Wandle. Uh, and with Wandle, he uh, held the family at gunpoint and sped down the freeway at 120 miles per hour. Um... <laughs> I guess they survived, though. But Gigi also describes that in 1967, when he was only 11, uh, he was already being sexually attracted by some of uh, her, his mother's friends. And uh, by the next year, he was a compulsive masturbator. Uh, compulsive masturbator, rather. Um, he would grab panties from any house that he was in, and he would stick them in his mouth compulsively. <laughs> now, this is also a good transition into some of the the trouble that he would get in in junior high. So he would get in trouble for things like carving on desks and getting in fights. Um, and by high school, he was having sex with his brother Merle. <laughs> so there's some incest uh, thrown in there as well. Him and Merle and his friends regularly would steal as well. They uh, once stole guns and TVs and stereos and records from a camp that they went to. Uh, in Gigi's autobiography, he describes it as a doctor's camp. I'm not sure what that is, but I guess some sort of retreat. And he stole everything. Uh, and they did drugs such as glue, pot, and any alcohol that they could find, as well as uh, LSD starting in high school. By the time he was in high school, he was wearing drag, too. He was getting into punk rock, like from the Stooges, Alice Cooper, the Ramones, the Damned, and the New York Dolls. The New York Dolls, especially, they were inspiring to him because they dressed up in full drag, and they took the Rolling Stones style up to 11. So they kind of took the idea of being an outcast and flipped it, you know? So let's listen to a little bit of the New York Dolls, looking for a kiss. This is the kind of stuff that Gigi was listening to.
When I say I'm in love, you best believe I'm in love, L-U-V. So let's, let's check out CK's Psych Corner again. 73. Now, if you're already an outcast and you start to cross-dress, that can only make things worse. Let me tell you from experience. Um, apparently Gigi um, fit into the screw-up screw role, though. And Gigi describes this period like this. Very chaotic, full of chances and dangers. We sold drugs, stole, broke into houses, cars. We did whatever we wanted. Now, at this point, in our psych corner, this sounds like a conduct disorder. Maybe borderline personality. Nah, I don't know. I, I think conduct. Uh, so what he's doing is he, he's associating freedom of expression um, with acts against authority. You can understand why, of course, because he's seen lots of violence, and lots of adults in his life are unreliable, including his parents and teachers. There's, there's no help from teachers, right? Um, I've seen lots of kids like this in high school. <laughs> um, they basically, you know, all they talk about is like how horrible the cops are and how everyone's against them. You know, even if someone actually does want to help you, they're too focused on being against things. Uh, but again, this is due to trauma. This is due to problems. So, it is what it is. <laughs> um... Now, he also describes being nervous and fidgeting and tapping on things, trouble focusing, right? And another strange thing he talks about is that he would refuse to eat without a special fork, which he described as moldy and green. So this sounds to me like PTSD. Um, perhaps an early trauma from his childhood. Um, when I worked at group homes, a common thing thing that PTSD kids would do is that they'd hide, hide objects and, and food sometimes. Uh, they'd hoard things. And this is done because they don't trust anything or anybody. They think that, you know, tomorrow is going to be unpredictable. Everything's unpredictable in their life. So they're going to try to hoard onto what little things that they can. It's incredibly sad. This reminds me of that so much. Okay. Now let's talk about some of his sexual compulsions as well. Um, he, uh, I kind of alluded to it, but he would uh, do this thing called, he called it sucking on panties. He had this compulsion to take panties and suck them in his mouth. Um, he would do this when he was babysitting. I don't know why anybody would let him babysit. But anyway, he would do this with his girlfriends, his friends, his relatives, his um, mom even. So... Gigi claims, of course, that he was never molested, but this is something that also raises red flags, especially later when he talks about, um, when he has some poop and pee stuff. Anyway, <laughs> uh, despite all of this, though, he meets Sandy, his future wife, in his junior year of high school. Aw, it's so cute, young love, you know? 
Of course, there that wasn't without its controversy because Sandy was, of course, in seventh grade when he was in junior uh, high, or when he was in a junior high school, rather. So he's maybe 17, and she's maybe 13, if not 12. So that's kind of gross, right? <laughs> now, also at this time, though, he starts playing music his junior year. Gigi takes up the drums. Remember that fidgeting, all that stuff? He, he realizes he wants to be a drummer. Um, and his brother goes on bass guitar, Merle, Merle on bass. Um, and he's got a couple friends in the neighborhood. Uh, Al is a friend of his, Alan. Um, and they make their first band called Little Sister's Date, or LSD for short. Remember that, uh, that LSD that they did? They, they named it after a, one of the first times that they do it together. Now, he manages to finish high school in 75. He graduates. This is despite skipping classes constantly, failing tests, giving people the finger. There was one time when he was, actually this is very young, but he, uh, when a teacher asked him a question, he threw a sandwich at her, hit her in the face. Uh, yeah, so despite his, his horrible performance, he's able to graduate. So that's good. Um, now, he didn't attend any functions like prom or graduation or anything like that. It just came and went, he said. He was focused on his band. But LSD, however, only made it a few months after graduation because shortly after high school, he got into a brutal car accident where he broke his arm, where Gigi breaks his arm, and his mother shatters her pelvis, and uh, the other car driver dies. Um, he still managed to play drums afterward, however, even with a cast on because he was that dedicated to music. All right, so after high school, that is done with the early years of Gigi, so we're going to have to take a commercial break. I'll see you after the break. This message this is message better, 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 better. As a parent, I'm sure that you want your kid to grow healthy, strong, and safe. And you want them to take full advantage of all the opportunities that life offers them. But guess what? Some opportunities go by so fast that your kid is going to miss them. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, you fucking idiot? Well, Gary has the perfect product for you. Gary's Russian Spy Kit for Kids. Should your kid miss out on the opportunities of collecting compromising material on celebrities, congressmen, local officials, or even your boss? Well, Gary doesn't think so. This extensive manual will teach your beloved child how to do the following. Doctor photographs, plant drugs and evidence, forge signatures, install microphones and cameras, enlist prostitutes, and fire small and medium arms. It goes over that and much more. Many of the tools of the trade for Compromat. Each kit comes equipped also with 20 tea bags infused with Polonium 210, and also 50 vials of Novichok 5. For all uses, guys, and this comes in handy, let me tell you. One way it can come in handy is that once your kid sees that stuff, well, they'll certainly see their place and station in the family. And of course, the price of descent from without and within. With Gary's Russian Spy Kit for Kids, your child is going to be truly capable of anything. So buy today. Send your money, as much as you have, to 950 Dixie Park Drive, Cookville, Kentucky. That's of course the dumpster behind the Cookville Depot Museum. There's my puppy. I will see your enemies yesterday, comrades. Communication out.
Alright, welcome back to part two, which I call The Married Man and the Mad Man. So after high school, Gigi kept simple jobs, such as in a shoe factory, a nursing home, etc., little small jobs. Um, and he, he uh, stayed at his mother's for as long as he could, he says. Um, he was still with his sweet, sweet Sandy, the, the um, high school sweetheart. And uh, she, he promises her that he's going to marry her once she graduates. Aww. <laughs> now, meanwhile, um, he was still dedicated to his music. And although LSD fell apart, uh, Little Sister's Date fell apart, uh, he did form a new band called Malpractice with his brother and buddy Jeff on vocals. They quickly made an impression at a gig at a local high school uh, where he said, Fuck school, fuck authority. Let's riot. Uh, the principal of the school tried to stop the show at that point, but they just played over him and flipped him off. But once the, once the cops were called, uh, that ended it. <laughs> uh, gigs like this cost them money from the show uh, that they could have earned, but it did start giving them a reputation as genuine punk rockers. Uh, and they took gigs whenever uh, and wherever they could, and they even made it to New York City and Maine. They picked up a fourth member of the band along the way, and uh, they even did a recording, although it didn't quite capture their sound. They recorded um, two songs, Devil's Triangle and Love Tunnel, in different than his later stuff. Um, and Mal Malpractice fell apart shortly after this release. Um, at this point, Gigi and Merle wanted to write some harder stuff. So in 78, they formed the Jabbers. And they wrote three songs that capture their ethos, much more than Malpractice, I would say. Uh, they wrote and recorded Bored to Death, Beat Beat Beat, and One Man Army. Beat Beat Beat, of course, is pretty much a, a copy of Neat 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 by The Damned, at least in name. But uh, Gigi made this on his own do-it-yourself label called Blood Records. Uh, again, this is like early punk days. Everything's do-it-yourself. Everything's completely self-done. So that's pretty cool. Um, there's only about 500 of these original vinyls. Uh, this is like <laughs> top-shelf stuff if you're a Gigi fan. Um, and it's released uh, a year later in, uh, in 79. Uh this also is officially when Gigi starts calling himself Gigi uh, most of the time. Uh, before this point, it's just kind of a nickname and an inside joke with Merle. He, uh, his official name, you know, is Kevin. So, after they record, Gigi wanted to start playing live again, of course. But at this point, Merle wants out. He moves to Boston, and he joins the band called The Thrills. So Gigi recruits his old childhood chum, Alan. Remember that guy? He moves to Manchester, New Hampshire, and travels back and forth to visit Sandy in Vermont so that she can fi finish working. 
Um, it's interesting because Merle, I think, I think they have a little bit of a rivalry at this point. Merle wants to one-up Gigi, and the Thrills are much more successful at the time. Now, here's a little bit of One Man Army from this first record. That song's so good. <laughs> really gets you pumped up. Um, now, 79 is a good year for Gigi. Sandy and Gigi actually get married. Woo! Apparently, he played drums at his own wedding, too. And he uh, got so into it that he chucked drumsticks out at the crowd. He did it so hard that he hit somebody in the face. You know, this is family and friends and everything, right? <laughs> According to him, at this point, he had to run out. He grabbed all the gifts and money that he could and left. Now, uh, at this point, quickly, uh, Gigi's live act becomes more and more animated. The next few shows in 79 were um, shut down by cops due to Gigi throwing glass bottles, spitting, breaking mics, and equipment. This extreme stuff wasn't just on stage, though. He was introduced to speed this year, so he would be drunk and high at, at work as well as on stage. Uh, at this point, he had a job in a nursing home, and... Uh, he would abuse the clients, according to him. He would... Well, here's a quote from what he says. I was cleaning in a room with some nagging old lady who couldn't talk too well. After listening to her for too long, I poured salt in her mouth to shut her up. What was she gonna do? She couldn't talk. So, uh, not cool, Gigi. No, not cool at all. <laughs> now, who knows if this actually happened. Uh... According to him, he got the idea from, from his bandmate, Alan, but hopefully that didn't really happen, because <laughs> that's pretty messed up. Now, <laughs> not as messed up as stuff he does later. Uh, now, the band quickly starts to resent Gigi for costing them gigs, though, for these kind of antics. Because um, when it would get shut down, the band doesn't get paid. Uh, or they get paid, and then the uh, club owner demands that they cover, cover the uh, charges, right? Um, the drummer actually quit after a particularly big gig at the Rat Club in Boston, but his brother, uh, Merle came in clutch by telling him about his roommate, who was a former drummer. Um, he was a former drummer for The Liars, L-Y-R-E-S, super good band. Uh, so at that point, boom, he's in. Got a former drummer from The Liars. Now, 1980, um, <clears throat> the boys... Record Always Was, Is, and Always Shall Be. This is a full song LP. This is first real record. Um, however, this was also about the time when Gigi starts to masturbate on stage when performing. <laughs> uh, the first time was performing at a university gig in Lowell, Massachusetts. So imagine this. You're doing a gig at a university. So at a school, on school grounds, and he's masturbating. He's, he's at this point... He is a sexual uh, predator. Okay, now, related. He also got arrested <laughs> because the cops told him to leave town after that show. Um, and so the cops followed him, you know, out of town. 
And then Gigi turns around and raids a frat party. He wants to get wasted and take beer from the frat boys, right? And then, bam, door gets kicked in. It's the cops. He gets arrested, spends uh, the weekend in jail. (laughs) There we go. That's, uh, I think, his first time that he gets in jail. But not his last. Now, after recording that first LP, that first record, Gigi decides to rename the album. (laughs) He removes the band's name and simply simply puts Gigi Allen instead of the Jabbers, and he replaces the image of the band with an image of himself. The title uh, itself, too, the uh, always was, is, and always shall be, is a reference to his name. So, saying that Gigi's a punk rocker, and he always will be. Uh, <laughs> this is a pretty legendary, narcissistic thing to do right here. Um... Seems at this point he just really wants to be famous over everything else. Needless to say, this does not go over well with the band. (laughs) The band is pissed. Uh, They start, you know, crossing out his name all over the place, uh, Xing stuff out, breaking his shit. Uh, (laughs) Now, more band members leave. It's probably for the best because uh, one of the guys that leaves is John, and he was only 15 years old. So he got out at a good time. Let's check out one song from that called Unpredictable. Yeah, so kind of a prophetic one there about unpredictability. Of course, he's uh, bringing it into some uh, chauvinistic (laughs) places. But it could be just about him, you know? He's unpredictable. So, um, as Gigi says in his autobiography, they thought I was an egotistical asshole. But what other band could they play in? After playing with me, your name was Mud. Uh, Gigi was, however, pretty good at getting people to come play with them at this point, though. He got, um, Cheetah Chrome, which is a former member of the Dead Boys, to commit to playing three shows with them, and tour, uh, together around Boston. This was like a mobile party bus, by the way. Uh, there were food fights, like, playful fights in the van. They, uh, even did covers together on stage, so Gigi would come and play with his band, and, and, uh, Cheeto would come on stage and play with Gigi's band. They played uh, covers like I Want to Be Your Dog by the Stooges. Huge influence there. Uh, Pills by the New York Dolls. Uh, with that song, uh, Cheeto would actually shove shove pills in Gigi's mouth when he was performing, too. <laughs> uh, Gigi said he didn't know what they were, but he, it would get him high, so he didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> Now let's uh let's talk about some of the escalation of his of his live act at this point too. So Gigi's live act at this time was jumping into the crowd, crawling on pipes, like crawling, you know, like on the ceiling on the pipes. He would uh knock himself out sometimes. Uh, he'd crawl on the ground. He also started to use members of the audience to do things that he wanted. So he called them the goons, <laughs> and the oldest and meanest. 
and original one was Dick Urin, who would beat up people, flip tables, and even beat up Gigi Allen while he was performing. Uh, one time in particular, uh, the goons pulled up some <laughs> palm trees, uh, like lifted them out of the ground. I have no idea how they did that. And a few of them, uh, they would they would whip him with the palm trees. They would they pulled it up and then like beat him with the palm trees while he was performing. And when he'd, when he'd get up, they'd knock him over again. It's, <laughs> that must have been madness. Now, a few of these guys were over six feet tall. Um, and one guy in particular was a former boxer. So these became like the head goons. <laughs> they would um, they'd really amp up the crowd. So let me give you an example about how they'd amp up the crowd. So they would tap somebody's shoulder. And then when they would look around... They'd, boom, punch him in the face as hard as they could. <laughs> Knocking him out cold. So, eh, brutal stuff. <laughs> Pretty punk rock, though. Uh, it is assaulting somebody. It's not that cool. Okay, so now, this is where things get real crazy. Because Gigi calls up his, his buddy David Peel at or Orange Records. So he had previously had connections with them. Uh, they released his, his first album there. Um... And basically, Gigi wants to do some recording, and David Peel, by happenstance, says, Oh, hey, well, there's some other people doing some recording here, too. There's Wayne Kramer from the MC5. Gigi loses it. He says, Oh, my God, can, uh, can you put a good word in with me? Good in, a good word for me in with Wayne Kramer, so that he could, like, you know, help him out a little bit. So Wayne Kramer calls him. He says, sure, I'll do some songs with you. It, just give me 50 bucks. He's through the roof. Now, he also manages to get Dennis Thompson, who's another former MC5 member, and they go and record two songs. So they record Give Me Some Head and Dead or Alive with Gigi um, in 1980. This becomes his best-selling EP because he's got the name recognition there with former MC5 members. Now, what else is insane is that uh, Wayne Kramer at this time is in a band with Johnny Thunders, of course, former New York Dolls guy. Um, <clears throat> the band's called Gang War. Short-lived. Short-lived because they were fighting at the time uh, because Johnny Thunders was a crazy uh, drug addict at the time. And so Gigi's like, hey, can you get Johnny Thunders in here and get him play along with us too, man? And... Uh, Basically, Wayne Kramer says, no, the guy sucks. If you meet him in real life, you wouldn't like him. <laughs> um, now, if they were getting along, this could have had Johnny Thunders on it, too. That would have been amazing. Um, but still, this is good enough on its own. Um, now, this song that I'm going to play, Give Me Some Head, <laughs> apparently they would start shows by asking, uh, how many girls out there like to suck cock? Uh, they demanded that people raise their hands. Eventually, people wouldn't do this because Gigi would target them, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> so check it out. The song itself, though, is solid stuff. Here we go.
more raw. That guitar is really good. That's Wayne Kramer, you know. Uh, now, Gigi and the Jabbers were <laughs> declared enemies of the state of New Hampshire by the Liquor Commission. Um, and they threatened to pull... Basically, how it works is that the Liquor Commission are the guys that, that allow you to sell alcohol, right? And so the Liquor Commission says, okay, if you book these guys, Gigi Allen and the Jabbers, then we pull your liquor license. <laughs> so <laughs> that uh, that causes some trouble. I didn't even know that they could do that. It, it's pretty interesting, though. So at this point, New Hampshire is out. They can't play there in all of New Hampshire. Uh, <laughs> this leads to two more people leaving the band. One guy that Gigi particularly didn't like, um, when, he told, when he told Gigi he's quitting the band, he, he kicked the guy out of the gig van and then beat him up once he fell. Um, so that's cool. <laughs> At this point, also, by the way, the live shows um, regularly left Gigi bleeding. He would roll around in glass. He would throw bottles at people. Um, and he was completely wasted. Somehow, though, <laughs> Gigi was still married to Sandy, who was in college now. So she graduated high school. She's in college now. Uh, getting an accounting degree, and uh, Sandy went to a few shows, but just didn't really like seeing him getting beat up by people or hurting himself, uh, and Gigi didn't like her being there, probably because uh, it threw him off, right? <laughs> He's trying to live these, like, two lives a little bit. Um, he also was cheating on her, of course, immediately, so he didn't want her to <laughs> run into other girlfriends. Uh, now, at this time, Sandy also refused to let Gigi sleep in, in her bed anymore because he was just disgusting, you know? He was bleeding everywhere. Like, he, he, he would hop in the bed and it would be covered in blood, right? Uh, this is also about the same time that Gigi stopped showering, uh, and Gigi's live acts uh, also started incorporating uh, pissing as well. So pissing on himself, pissing on other people. Uh, all of that. And he, he would also, you know, grab people and assault them as well by, by this point. Uh, here's one, one particular moment that he describes in his autobiography. I grabbed a bitch and licked her face before I punched her as hard as I could, threw her back out. So, yeah, at this point, this is the... It's not quite what it becomes, but it's pretty close to as extreme. This is like a, a battle zone he describes it as. So he's attacking people. He's trying to... You know, you go to a show and you see people on their phones now, or you see people standing there when a band is, really, is playing their heart out, and, and you kind of lose it a little bit. <laughs> this is like... This is what Gigi does. Like it, He would describe, you know, like, starting with a crowd of a couple hundred... And then after they start the song, after like the first song, they have like 20 people left because everybody's just running out. <laughs> okay. Now th these kind of acts uh, lead to two more bandmates quitting and the gigs come to a standstill. It gets harder and harder to get gigs, right? More and more venues uh, decide it's not worth having Gigi destroy the place or having uh, their license threatened to be removed. Um... And his wife, uh, at this point, wants him to go to therapy, couples therapy, which he goes to for about a year. As George Costanza once said, The worlds are colliding! 
if you if this world meets that world, it will cease to be. <laughs> uh, yeah, so a GG divided amongst itself cannot stand. Uh, so due to losing his jobs, not getting gigs, and wasting money on booze and drugs, Gigi and Sandy have to move out of their love nest in Manchester and move back in with our Lita in Littleton. But not before the Jabbers record a little bit more. They record No Rules, A Fuck Up, You Hate Me, I Hate You, Up Against the Wall, and New York City Tonight in 1982. Um, but at this point, after that record, uh, or after that EP, the band wasn't officially broken up, but they were on hiatus since they were <laughs> unable to perform. So here's one song from that era. This is You Hate Me, I Hate You. Well, you hate me and I hate you. You never understand the things I say or do. So what's new? You never like me, so I say fuck you. You know, you know that you don't like me. I don't like you. Now, uh, on the bright side of things, though, Sandy was done with college at this point in 1982, and she's working as an accountant now. And she got a dog! Yay! But, <laughs> wouldn't you know it, though, um, Gigi started having sex with the dog when she wasn't around. Um, I should mention that Gigi never stopped his compulsive masturbation. Uh, so the next year in 83, it's kind of a dead zone, mostly for Gigi. Um, he was mainly getting drunk and high with or without Sandy. This is a low point for him. I will say, like, having sex with a dog is... That's one part that really disturbs me. I mean, like, hitting his fans and, like, uh, forcing them to have sex with him, that, that's disturbing too, for sure. That happens later. But the dog is especially sad for me. Okay. Do you find that, I feel like that's true though for, for me in like movies, like I get way more emotional about the animals than the people, you know, because the people have like some choice, but dogs are just, they're just sweet little guys, you know, they just want to help people. Oh, so sad. All right. <laughs> so in, in early 83, he does meet this random dude on the street. He, I get, he was just like drunk on the street wandering around, he says, and he meets this guy, Killer Kelsey, who, uh is this kid playing guitar on the street, and he says, Hey, hey, mister, you're Gigi Allen. Hey, I work at this record shop. I could, uh, actually help you record for free. You want to come with me and record? And so Gigi says, Yeah, and so he says, yeah. Um, Gigi takes him up on it, and he records Hard Candy Cock, Out for Blood, I Don't Give a Shit, and Drink, Fight, and Fuck, and Convulsions uh, with this kid. He calls this new project the Scum Fucks. So check it out. This is Drink, Fight, and Fuck. We got to drink and party hard. We're not afraid to fight, we're not afraid to die. We like to fuck, any girl will do. We're not ashamed of the things we do. Drink, fight, and fuck. Drink, fight, and fuck. Out of my way, I'm gonna flatten you. Give me a girl, 
Good stuff. Definitely autobiographical for the time in his life. Um, and really a lot later, too. So Gigi and Sandy, though, they started to get in, in increasingly big fights. Um, one, in, one time in particular, he uh, breaks his guitar all over, the, all over the walls and the floors and the ceiling. Um, he breaks all kinds of stuff. Um, <clears throat> and he goes for days without speaking to her at times. He just is really... Uh, going within himself, I guess, you know, getting introspective there. According to him, they amicably split um, during this time, and he sold everything that he had that couldn't fit into a suitcase, and he left everything else with her, and that was it. Uh, and he didn't have a plan for his next move, but he says he's ready for anything. I don't quite believe him, though. Now, Sandy is a true hero of the story because she got, got out when she did. Um... Because after this, uh, it gets, it gets worse. <laughs> Alright, uh, I think I'm gonna cut it here because I still have a lot more to talk about. I got part three and part four of G.G. Allen, um, but that's gonna take a lot more time. So instead I'm gonna break it up into, uh, two parts here, um... And I think I'm going to release it in a day or two, because I have I have most of it already. Um, but yeah, take a mental break from this stuff, because uh, thinking about Gigi Allen too much uh, kind of makes you go a little crazy. <laughs> so it feels good to get this off my chest, my god. Uh, yeah, the next, next person I do a deep dive on, I think I might do uh, <laughs> somebody really positive. Like Joy Electric, have you guys heard Joy Electric? Okay, so, bubblegum poppy. Anyway. Um, so yeah, go do something something sweet in between this and the next uh, next episode. And, and tell somebody you appreciate them. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, GG on. All right. Also, uh... Please, uh, go to my website, sites.google.com slash sixthworldmusic, and, uh, follow me on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts, preferably on iTunes if you can, um, especially if you like what I'm doing. Alright, Sixth World Music fans, I'll see you on the next episode.